This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. All around the world, there are people deciding that architecture isn't for them because they're worried they can't handle the math, and they couldn't be more incorrect. Today's episode is brought to you with support from Centria. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're talking about architecture and math, one of the great misconceptions that exists within the field of architecture. It's too bad that so many people think you have to be a wizard at math, but just like a handful of other stereotypes about architects that aren't true, Andrew and I are here to tell you that you do not have to be great at math to be an architect. I mean, you can't be completely incompetent either, but... If you can make it through the classes in school, it's all downhill from there. At least that's been my experience. I would agree. I think so. If you can get through school, math, the rest of your architectural career is a piece of cake. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of interesting that (laughs) the way I'm going to phrase this is going to sound a little petulant. You know, why is math (laughs) in school so hard? (laughs) Right, yeah. A little whiny. Yeah, but, you know, the truth is, is the things that I had to do and learn when I was in school back in the Stone Ages was about a billion times harder than anything I've ever even remotely had to think about doing as a professional. Yeah, I would agree. Everything that we learned to calculate and do after I passed my exam, my license exam, out the window. I didn't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. I will say, and we'll get into this a little bit later, I always thought that that was one of the the really big shortcomings with architectural educations is that there was a disconnect between what's required for us in terms of practice versus what the curriculum at various schools do to prepare you for that. Now, I had this in my notes and I was going to save it for later, but now seems like a really good time to throw it out there. And my dad used to say all the time, you go to school to learn how to learn, not learn how to do a thing. So... That kind of supports the idea that just because they're teaching us how to figure out these kind of complicated structural issues in school doesn't mean that there's not value in going through that process. You're teaching your brain how to think and process information in a very particular way so that maybe it's an arrow in your quiver that allows you to make a consideration when designing something 10 years from now. Yeah, and I think there's an inherent level of understanding of that subject when you have to go so far into detail. Even though it may not be necessary, the fact that you have to kind of helps you understand the more basic ideas a little bit better. Doing a little bit more than you have to so that you can really understand what the part that you have to. It seems reasonable, but at the same time, it doesn't seem reasonable that I have a trust with 800,000 members in it and they point to one of the inner 312th one and go, What's the load on this one What's member? What's the load on that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, is that in, it's not reasonable. Yeah, how many, it's not reasonable. How many kips on that guy? Yes. So, so when we were coming up with topics for the 2019 editorial calendar for the Life of an Architect podcast, like as a topic, I put architects and math on the list because it is one of the most read topics on my website. And... I'm here. I did some research. You know, I love my research. Mm. So here's some Life of an Architect website insider tidbits for you. Are you interested in hearing these? Yeah, let me let me have it. Give me some give me some numbers. Yeah, let me get our math episode. It's all insider tidbit math. Okay. so as of this recording tonight, which is not the time when it'll get released, but as of this recording, 
I've written 923 articles on my site, one of which was specifically related to math and being an architect. So out of those 923 articles, the one that's on math and architects is the 28th most read article on my site with 306,865 hits. So if you take away only one thing from that information, it at least tells you that there are some questions surrounding the role of math when it comes to being an architect. Yeah, you would think that that means it's a big question for either. My guess is those wanting to know more about architecture. I'm hoping if you're in it already, you know how much math is involved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I know to a certain extent because we did a straw poll a couple of years ago and I said, all right, all my architecture buddies, what do you think of this? And they all responded with very predictable type of answers. And I don't mean that like (laughs) they didn't give me good answers, but they told me what I was expecting to hear. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. So part of the reason I wrote that article, Architects and Math, was because, and this is true with a lot of the articles that are on my website, and that is once I've been asked a question a bunch of times, there's not some magic number. It's not like, ooh, when it gets to 10, then I'll finally write a blog post about it. But the normal kind of modus operandi is someone will email me and I'll write a response back to them. And it will be via email. And then maybe a day or two or a week or whatever will pass and somebody will ask the same question. And then I'm like, respond to that one as well. But it'll be slightly different, you know, because I don't like just have all these answers. for. Come on, you just copy, paste, copy, paste. No, because I don't remember like, okay, who was the last guy that asked that question? Yeah, yeah, I got you. People aren't writing subject lines that are so specific that allow me to go find whatever canned answer or at least turn it into a canned answer. So I would answer this email, one of these questions, like over and over and over. And finally, I'd write a blog post because I get frustrated that I keep answering the same question and I don't have the bandwidth to remember where they are so I can just cut and paste it. (laughs) I'm going to take care of that with a blog post. (laughs) Yeah. So finally, I said, I'll write a blog post about it. Check the website, you know, tomorrow or whatever the case may be. And now, for some reason, I remember where all those are. So now when somebody calls and says, I want to be an architect, but I'm no good at math, I can just cut and paste the link to the article that says, this is the answer. It would take me 45 minutes to write this out via email. Here's 10 seconds of, I've already answered the question, far greater detail than I will in this email. Yeah, and it's easier to find now that it's cataloged within your site. Why do you think so many people think that math is the great equalizer that determines if you can be an architect or not? I really don't know. I mean, I've been thinking about that for a while. I don't really know or understand that misconception about how we've got to be really good at math, and at least advanced math. I mean, I think we've got to be decent mathematically, but I don't think the complexity of what we do is that great. So I don't really know if it's just because they get us confused with our role in design buildings and we do a lot of engineering type calculations maybe i don't i don't know i really can't you think it's like rogue high school guidance counselors that don't really understand <laughs> maybe it's funny i was just at a workshop about architectural education just this week and we were talking about how so many high school guidance counselors don't even know what an architect actually does to be able to tell students that they're so inclined to do that i was going to say so they can tell students that they're not qualified to do it <laughs> <laughs> something like that but i think I guess maybe it just seems like we should know a lot of math and have to do a lot of math. 
Do you have any theories? No, other than misinformed guidance counselors, I don't. <laughs> okay. But I mean, I think even the general public, that's sort of the conception of, man, you guys must do a lot of math. I hear that even when I introduce myself to people as an architect. They're like, oh, I bet you have to do a lot of math. I'm kind of like, mm, no. You're like, no more than just about anybody else. You know who I think has to do a lot of math? The nurse that's going to stick an IV in somebody and they're like, oh, your body weight is this and it needs to get this much in your system over a rate of this amount of time. That's way more math than I do. Exactly. And there's, well, I mean, maybe there's not, I mean, we're responsible for some math that could kill people, but still, that's probably that, much, that nurse, much more critical. That nurse sticking that bag of juice in your arm with whatever's in it, she could kill you if she sets that up wrong. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. Well, okay. So I also did, I went to the internet and I typed in, I wanted to see if there was any like juicy articles that were out there that would be like a home run, like something really good. And there was one of these like canned architecture sites and, you know, it has like 10 categories. It'll tell you things like, you have to be good at art and you have to be good at math. And this is how much money the average salary was according to the 2016 Census Bureau. And uh, yeah, and it has, yeah, I got you. It's like all like a single paragraph about 10 or 12 different things. One of the things it said is that you have to take calculus in order to get an architectural degree. And I went, that is categorically not true. <laughs> not true, because I'm here to tell you, people, dear listeners, not only did I not. Now, I went to UT down in Austin, a very well-regarded program. 400 years ago. No, not quite. 400 years ago. <laughs> and 400 moons ago. How about that? Oh, that works. Yeah, That might actually not be that far off. So not only did I not take calculus. I've never taken trig. Wow, that's interesting. And I'll tell you, that made my life really hard for a couple of years because <laughs> a lot because I took a lot of really we had a heavy math component had to do with structures and the assumption is that you've already taken trig and have a mastery of how that process works, yeah. which I did not have. And so that whole Sakatoa thing, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it. And I actually went up and asked the TAs once and I was like, you know, how can I ask this? I can't even remember how I asked it because it was so shameful and embarrassing at the moment. It would take- <laughs> You just blacked it out. It would take yeah, years of therapy to unlayer everything I've hidden on top of it. But I had to ask what Sakatoa even meant. <laughs> nice. I'm not sure I remember anymore. Sign yeah. over a-, a a hypotenuse adjacent, you know, that's, it's like the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But again, like I said, I don't know if I can remember it. PTSD, PTSD. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well maybe times have changed because I mean, like you like to say, even though I'm not that much older than you. I know, but you're still older. I am older. So maybe things have changed. Maybe the math requirements are not what they used to be. Because I can tell you right now, when I went, there was a math component, but I was able to satisfy that with, it was basically like a Euclidean geometry or, you know, algebraic geometry or something along those lines. Uh -huh. Clearly it stuck with me. And then we had <laughs> to take two semesters of like real physics, not, not like physics for hobbyists. Yeah. So in my physics class were physics majors. You had to take the, yeah, the actual physics, not the blow off physics for those that just those English majors that had to have, have physics, right? I, yeah. I still remember there was a guy in my dorm. I was talking about like, oh my God, physics is so hard. 
And he goes, I'm in physics. I think it's super awesome and totally easy. And I was like, what? I go, how's that even possible? Now, cause I'm thinking, cause you're a dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, you're not even understanding it, man. Yeah. And I'm, I show him one of my homework assignments, which is like, you know, preposterously difficult. He goes, yeah, we haven't gotten to that section yet. And I was like, okay, so what are you doing? He goes, well, we're talking about this right now and our homework assignment. You ready for their homework assignment? Yeah. They had to take, this also shows how old people were. You had to take a piece of paper and put it on a record player. To this day, I'm like, who has a record player? Nobody had record players really in college. Then. Then. So, but he had to put a piece of paper on a record player and it starts spinning around, right? It's on the turntable spinning around. And he had to take like a pencil, put it in the middle and then draw a straight line out from the center as it was turning at different speeds, which of course it just basically makes a spiral in the, mm. the speed at which you pull it from the center to the outside in concert with how fast the turntable gives you a different spacing between each of the ever growing radius of circles. That was the homework assignment. I was like, that's what is dude. I know. What is that? Is this kindergarten or how stoned was your teacher? I was like, can you use a crayon or do you have to use uh, yeah, a pencil? And can it be construction paper? Was it like the manila paper you're supposed to, you're supposed to put down? Yeah. Is that how it works? And I go, when it's done, do you have to take scissors and cut along the thing and then you put string and hang it? Yeah. It was ridiculous. So it was, it was straight up hard physics. Yeah, I'm with you. And then we had structures classes, which were also crazy hard. I want to say we had like two years, 12 credit hours worth of structural, and it was math. It wasn't like, oh, here's this type of two-way system, and it's used in these scenarios, and this is kind of the rule of thumb. It was like- Yeah, it wasn't a rule of thumb, anything. It was all- It was all here. Calculate the kips and the duh and the forces and all those things. Yes. Yeah. Here's your free body diagram. Yeah. And so, okay, so a bit of a rabbit hole. So yes, Bob, we feel sorry. Life was harder for you. When I went to undergrad at, well, when I started architecture and I transferred into A&M for my undergrad. I had to have some math classes that I'd already taken at a different school, but I still had six hours of structural classes that were mostly math-based. There was a little bit of, here's how concrete systems work. Now calculate how all this is going to work and how big this concrete beam needs to be to span this based on these forces. And so, and also just reiterate, I think there's some value to that, but I also think it's completely unnecessary because to be honest with you, my insurance company won't let me be responsible for <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, yeah. They would drop me if I started doing that stuff. That's right. So I went on to a couple different architecture schools and tried to find their curriculum to find out what type of math classes did they require. Currently, like you went to yeah. find out today. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And first off, architecture schools, websites, can you like get your act together? It was like <laughs> so hard to find just curriculum. Like, this is what we expect you to take. These are the requirements yeah. of your degree. Why should that? It was, uh, Andrew, it was <laughs> impossible to find. I see that's a problem. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty good at navigating website. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. Um, I do the internet pretty well. I yeah, kind of know it. I right? kind of know how the, how it works is the thing. <laughs> so it wasn't easy. So take this with a grain of salt because. The schools that I went into, what's required, obviously, is going to vary from school to school, but 
I didn't call these schools and get specific clarification as to what these sorts of classes might actually involve. I basically just saw a name when I did find it. And I went, that sounds like math. And I wrote it down. Yeah, I got you. So I started with my own alma mater, UT down in Austin. And what I found from what I could determine, because they're also a culprit of the impossible to navigate website of what classes you have to take. So it looked like they had 12 total hours, which was four classes that were required. And one class of those four had to be an approved math or science elective. And the other three had to be approved technical electives. And so I jotted down just a couple examples of what those sorts of elective classes might include. So one of them is Introduction to Architectural Engineering. There was Elements of Steel Design, Fundamentals of Concrete Design, Physics, Energy Simulation, and Building Design. So these are math, but they're not math. They're math. Yeah, they're not capital M math. They're lowercase m math. There's math associated with the objective of what you're trying to learn. The objective isn't math. The point isn't to learn math like it was when, like when I took structures, that was math. That was like 100% math. Mm -hmm. If you're doing HVAC design, there's some math associated with it, but that's not really the takeaway. That's just one bit, one small piece of the whole. I mean, I think that depends on where you're at, but yeah. Some schools, it's a bigger bit than other bits, but yeah, it's still just a bit. It's still a portion of the overall, not math for the whole objective. More from Life of an Architect in a moment. Hey, Andrew. I'd like to take a moment and talk with you about Intercept, a modular metal wall panel system from our friends at Centria. Cool. Intercept is a modular metal wall panel system that allows for design versatility by incorporating different substrates, depths, slopes, curves, and perforations into an easy-to-install rain screen. The lightweight, back-ventilated system combines aesthetics with function while directing water away from your structure and without using sealants of any kind. What? No sealants? Not any sealants at all? No sealants. The system's modular design lends itself to installation in either vertical or horizontal applications. Intercept panels are available in the standard coil-coated aluminum substrate, as well as post-anodized aluminum, zinc, and other natural metals. When you install Intercept over Centria's metal wrap insulated composite backup panels, the system provides protection from air, water, thermal, and vapor intrusion. Whoa, it does it all. Pretty much. All right, I have a bunch of other features and benefits if you'd like to hear them. Man, of course. I love features and benefits. Big fan. You're a big fan of those. Okay, so as our resident expert in modular metal wall panel systems, I'll let you tell us which is a feature and which is a benefit. Sounds good. Okay, you're going to be playing for a new car, but there are other consolation prizes in today's game, like like a nice deli sandwich. Nice. (laughs) Okay, number one, engineered and tested to assure compliance with building codes, Regulations including air, water, structural, hurricane, and AMMA 508. That's a benefit. Correct. Okay, next up. The solid metal substrate is non-combustible and compliant with NFPA 285, which allows for easy recyclability. Again, I'm going with that's a benefit. Yes, you're on fire. Okay, next up. Pairing Intercept with Centria's metal wrap creates the air, water, thermal, and vapor barrier needed to protect your structure. Hmm, this one's tricky. Um, benefit? No. Wait, feature? No, no benefit. It'll, it, that's a benefit. Benefit. 
Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. I thought I had you on that one. You are correct, and it is a benefit. Okay, things are about to get tricky. Are you ready? Man, let's do it. Okay. Clean lines are created with tight corner bends allowed by .060 aluminum while simultaneously providing better structural integrity without the need to fasten to a plywood backer. Totally a feature. Those tight corners give that one away. <laughs> you really know your features and benefits. I'm impressed. Okay, next up. No sealants are used in the installation, which results in a simplified installation process and an exterior that requires no maintenance. Well, that doesn't count because that is a feature and a benefit, both of them. Oh, trick question. Okay, you're five for five, and there's only one more entry in today's game, but this one's worth 10,000 points. Wait, we're playing for points now? <laughs> for 10,000 points. Coil-coated aluminum provides superior color consistency and coverage in an infinite palette with a standard 20-year finish warranty. Intercept is also available in anodized aluminum, post-painted aluminum, zinc, stainless steel, and copper substrates. That is FFTW. Feature for the win. Feature for the win. Oh, so sorry, but the 20-year warranty... <laughs> No. <laughs> Makes this one a benefit. No. You didn't win the car. Uh, I got to get somebody else to judge a rule on this. That's crazy. Uh, I am the only judge. If you would like to learn more about Centuria's modular metal wall panel intercept, which is loaded with benefits and features, please visit www.centuria.com forward slash life of an architect. You're a professor, Texas A&M. I asked you to go find out yep. what you had. So what'd you learn? It wasn't that hard for me to find, actually. <laughs> you could just you could just walk down the hall and go, what's up? <laughs> and they... Actually, I asked my students first what maths they needed to take or what math classes they had to have. But then I went and looked it up officially. So they essentially have to have about nine hours of, well, six hours of true math classes, I would say. So they get to choose from their freshman year of mathematics for business finite mathematics, or engineering mathematics. And then in their sophomore, actually, no, just in the spring semester of their freshman year, they get to choose from business calculus or engineering mathematics too. And then later in their sophomore year, they're required to take college physics. And then they have six hours of structures and six hours of mechanical systems. And there are math involved in those, but they are not one semester is heavy math. One semester of those is more conceptual stuff. So really just nine hours of actually applied math classes, I would say. Which doesn't sound too bad. No, not really. I don't think so either. And those are all sort of get them out of the way in your freshman year so that you can start doing architecture. There's another one. and I'll go through this one really quickly because they had a great description of the projects or the classes rather. And this was for Cornell, which happens to be one of the highest rated undergraduate architectural programs in the U.S. And actually, let me just interject this. There is no difference between four-year degrees that then require you to go on to get a two-year master to fulfill your requirements for licensure versus professional degree. Five-year program, yeah. Right, because in all of these, your math components were within the undergraduate degree portion. Yeah, so like at, at A&M, they have their professional degrees, or is their two years master's program, and there's no math required for that. I mean, they are required to take structures again, I think, but it's not like they have to have calculus or anything like that. It is assumed that you've already done that in your undergraduate level. Yes. 
All right, so Cornell, and shout out to Cornell for having the easiest website that I found all this information. So, Maybe that's why they're highly rated, because people can f- go there and figure it out. Figure out what's going on. <laughs> so they basically looked like they had three classes, nine hours. And what they had was the first one was called Structural Concepts, which was defined as Fundamental Concepts of Structural Behavior, Statics and Strength of Materials, and Introduction to and Analysis of Simple Structural Systems. The key takeaway there is simple structural systems. I doubt they have anybody doing a 800 member trust and asking what member 312 is. Intention or compression, yeah. all that kind of stuff. They're not calculating all those kinds of intricate values that are required to actually design a trust. Yeah. I mean, maybe they are. If you're Cornell and you're listening, shoot me a line. So, and then <laughs> yeah, prove us wrong. Yeah. Just, you know, inform me. So the next one was called Structural Systems, which behavior and design of overall structural systems for building, particular focus on systems used for resisting lateral loads, which lateral load would be like rigid frames and brace frames and shear walls, that sort of thing, that were used for spanning long distances, like trusses and space frames, cables and membranes, arches, domes, that kind of thing, which I find this very interesting because those two classes kind of sync up with what the old version, maybe 3.0 of the ARE was because they had general structures and then they had a long span structures section. They had two tests. You remember that? Yeah. You took them? Yeah. Two sections. Yeah. Yeah. So Cornell's structural concept seems to line up with the general structures portion of that old ARE test, which doesn't exist anymore. And structural systems looks like it kind of aligns with the long span section of the old ARE test. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I mean, all of those seem to, in my mind, again, imply some mathematics involved in understanding how to resist lateral loads and what's required to span long distances and stuff. So there is some math and physics, I would imagine, involved in in those classes. Uh, Well, I feel pretty comfortable going on a limb and saying that this is probably medium level of math skill in order to find success in these sorts of classes, which Mm -hmm. suggests to me, again, I didn't call these schools because I couldn't be bothered. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they they wouldn't have answered. And they wouldn't have answered my call. Is that trigonometry is probably about as advanced as it's going to get. Yeah, I would agree. Geometry and trigonometry. Yeah. And the truth is, these are classes, like my daughter's in 10th grade and she's about to be done with trig. The whole idea, I guess, if you want to combine the last, whatever, 10, 15 minutes that we've been talking, preface with the fact that I never took trig, should tell you one of two things. Either one, I'm a genius, which is not true. Or two, anybody can do this when they're properly motivated. Yes, for sure. Right? If, I mean, again, if if you have some basic understanding and then basic motivation, yeah, you should be able to manage through these classes regardless of your mathematic ability for the most part. I think if you're going to get in, if that school's going to accept you, you've already demonstrated that you have enough upstairs to be able to handle the sort of, I've found that college for the most part has more to do with you showing up and doing the work than finding out you do or don't have the ability to actually do that work. Yeah, I would say probably, maybe. Yeah. Most of the time. I don't know. Well, I don't think anybody fails out because they're stupid. I think they fail out because they don't do the work. Oh, well, for sure. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give you that. So, 
that was kind of a harsh way to put it. Sorry to the people who like who's listening Fa- to this that actually failed out of school. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Or those of you that are failing right now, just get it in gear. You can do it. Yeah, just do it. So the last thing I'll throw out there is that in all the different schools I looked at, which there were a couple more, but I think that people will stop listening if I actually keep reading through them all. In every one of these, all these structural math kind of heavy requirements were completed by the end of the second year. Yeah. You get these as basic level classes and in your first and second year of college and they're kind of out of the way and you move on. For sure. Well, I look back on it now. (laughs) I haven't done the math, but I think I'm probably, uh, I guess, maybe 27 years removed from college now. And I can tell you, I can say this with absolute certainty, that 99.9% of all the math I do day in and day out involves the same sort of stuff that I learned in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And that's about it. It wasn't the complexity of the math that's the challenge. It's really, you need to come up with the problem. So like when I use math now, I don't need trig to figure out my problems. Normally it has to do with the thicknesses of things. Like I'm going to detail something and I want everything to align up in a very particular way. So I need to be able to add fractions together. And I want to make sure that my window span is this big. And I generally know that I need to support this in three ways. So what's this divided by this number? I mean, it's it's pretty simple stuff. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's all rudimentary math. And like you say, I learned it all in the third and fourth grade. I think the real matter of it is that being able to do it quickly. And maybe it's more about organizing all those math numbers together. Like you say, like making sure I want things to line up. So I have to remember the thickness of this thing that may be on the other end of the building and then it's going to carry across and where does it fall in plane in relationship to these other numbers that I have for thicknesses of things. So it's almost to me a lot about organizing mathematic numbers, trying to make sure that everything works out to a certain extent. But again, it's pretty simple. Okay, well, that's a good segue here because we should talk about some of the ways that math does enter our day-to-day experience as practicing architects. I kind of already alluded to it for me, and it, it always comes in during the detailing of projects. It's always addition, subtraction, and division, for the most part. It has to do with those materials aligning. It has to do with figuring out the openings and sizes of things so that it courses out to masonry dimensions. I use incredibly simple math every day to some extent, but none of it's magic and none of it requires trigonometry, calculus, or physics. None of it does. I would say for me, numbers, if you want to call it instead of math, but even still math is that I use every day requires me to actually remember a lot of numbers, right? Remember that a block is 15 and 5 eighths by 7 and 5 eighths by 7 and 5 eighths or whatever, right? And how those things all work together and that block courses at this dimension and bricks course at that dimension and those kind of things to be able to add up all those numbers, but also to be able to remember all of those numbers without having to go look it up every time I have to know how big a, how big is a two by 12 or how. But I think a lot of it is organizing all those numbers that you have to kind of remember and making sure that you can add them together. We do a lot of conversions. 
a lot of fractions and a lot of conversions from feet to inches, inches to half inches, quarter inches, back up to feet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but guess what? I use a calculator for that stuff, even though I feel confident that I can do it in my head. Yeah, right. I agree. I can't. There are times when I don't want to presume that I'm correct, because if I make a, a simple math error, when it's so easy just to punch it into a calculator to know that you got it right. I mean, let's assume that you actually punch the numbers in correctly. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, that you use the calculator appropriately. But even as it is now, and you mentioned this earlier when we were texting earlier today, it was nowadays the software that we use to go about the creative process, both from a design standpoint and from a detailing standpoint, the software in the computer now, more times than not, informs you with the data that you need and it's doing the math for you. Exactly. I think almost everything, there's some, the software takes care of it. Or, I mean, if it's a complex equation, I mean, I'm thinking about it. There are some somewhat complex equations that I have to put together based on code analysis. I mean, granted, they're all basic numbers, but the code gives me these crazy formulas of, you know, perimeter of the building divided by this over the total square footage of the blah, 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 right? Which those kind of things that I just want to be able to plug in numbers. And so I've got like a spreadsheet formula. It's already all set up. And I just put the numbers in that I know I need to have. And it automatically does it for me. So I'm not having to make mistakes. You know, this is something that I go through with my daughter right now. I mean, she's going to school. So she goes to math and she has tests. And you know, we're concerned involved parents. So she'll take a test and I'll follow up and say, how do you do on your exam? And she'll say, yeah. I got a blank, but she'll be quick to point out that the things that she got wrong were careless errors, you know, and I'm sure in her mind, she's trying to convey the message that I understand how to do this. The reason yeah. I got it wrong was I just made a simple error or I didn't, you know, do X or Y or whatever the case may be so that we're going, okay. The important part is that you understand how it's done and we can forgive a simple calculation error. Well, yeah. in my business world. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, well. little yeah. simple calculation errors can create huge problems down the road. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. Those are the kind you deal with at some point in the future that you hate. Yeah, so I could probably do a lot of math in my head, but I don't because I can't afford to make. It's almost, oh, it's yeah. almost worse if you make a simple error than if you didn't get a super complicated problem correct. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. I'm not saying that I do all this stuff in my head and I don't check it or I don't pay attention to using the tools that are available to me. I just mean on a daily basis, that's still the bulk of my mathematic usage. I think I probably spend more time figuring out how much I'm going to charge somebody and there's more formulas and calculations and it's like that scene in, uh, I don't know, what is it, the one where the guy like starts to think and you see all the mathematic formulas going off in the middle of his head? I can't think of it now, so it's a dumb story, but <laughs> I'm like I, but, right, I, but like, I gotta know. I, I can't even think of it. It's like Russell Crowe and Oh, a beautiful mind. Yeah, that's it. So I spend more days when that happens to me as I'm trying to figure out how much I'm gonna charge somebody and try to get it right based on the amount of time I'm gonna spend on the project and all those sort of variables than it is any other basic thing I do about Oh, we got to span how far? Oh, it's got to be about this big. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'm not figuring out the kips per foot for any of that. You know, it's kind of funny that you put it that way because I was thinking, yeah, probably the most math intensive thing I've done in the last, I don't know, 10 years was a spreadsheet that I wrote 
that would calculate our fees for profitability or lack thereof, as it were. But it yeah. it was all engineered down. So all you had to do was enter really one number, and that was the cost of construction. Because where, mm-hmm. where I worked at the time, we charged a percentage of that cost of construction. If I can find it, maybe I'll just put the spreadsheet in so if people want it, they can download it. Nothing rocket science about it, but it's like you'd say, oh, it's a million dollar house and we have a, it wasn't, but I'll just say it was a 10% fee on there. So it would say, okay, our fee is $100,000. And then it would take out a percentage for profit right off the top. So that we kind of pretended as if we were working with like a nine. <laughs> You're actually going to make profit like that, yeah? Yeah, it was like saying, okay, we not we have a ninety thousand dollar fee, not a one hundred thousand dollar fee. Yeah, and then exactly. and then it would break it down into okay, well, SD is is fifteen percent, and DD is twenty five percent, and this is forty five percent, and that's five percent, and it would take each percentage and say, okay, well, if SD is twenty five percent, twenty five percent of 90 is going to be, you know, I don't know, $21,000, whatever the case may be. And then we would have percentages of like, okay, partner. People's time based on that number. Yeah, and it'd say, okay, at SD, the principal is going to be involved for 70% of the time and project architects can be involved for 30% of the time. And it would already have their billing rates plugged in. It would say, okay, principal, to maintain. You've got eight hours to do this. That's right. You have 13.2. Two seven hours to get this done, <laughs> and it would do that for the whole project, and you could track it to see how things were developing along. That's probably the most complicated math I've done since I got out of college. Exactly, was right. I mean, and I would say minor along those same lines, but about figuring out business things are much more math heavy than anything I would do otherwise. And again, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division—what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, there's still basic things. I mean, you have to create some formulas or figure out some formulas, and but even those are still just this times that plus that plus this times that divided by this over that. It's not like determining the arc cosine of you know any sort of tangent, blah blah blah. No, don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and it's always like and carry the one. Yeah, I know exactly. Well, I mentioned it earlier. So when I wrote the original architecture and math post like five years ago, I asked like eight or nine architects, which actually, Andrew, you were one of the people that I asked. I did. I went back and saw that today. Yeah. Uh, like, okay, what do you think of math? Like, how important is it? Do you have to be really good at math? Should anybody not be an architect because they have some concerns over their skill level when it comes to math? Every single person said, yeah, math's pretty important, but that should not be the right limiting step to you becoming an architect. The math is not so hard that you can't do it. Yeah. I don't know if this is still true, but we used to always consider some of the math classes we took when I was in school that they were like weed out classes. Like they were intentionally stupid hard because they're at the beginning and they're separating the wheat from the chaff. It's the ones like at somewhere like A&M and probably UT too, right? If you got into a general math class for the entire college, there's like 400 people in there or something. And you're just a number to the professor. And so it's not. They're just going to try to weed you out just in general. Yeah, it's just kind of... Now, I didn't... Now, UT people are surprised to learn this. I never once sat in a class that had more than about 20 people in it. 
Wow. Yeah. All the architecture classes are really, really small. And my structures classes were taught within the architecture school. Yeah, but I'm just surprised that you didn't have other classes. But I guess if you didn't have to have any basic math classes as part of your degree, then you wouldn't have done that. No, no, I had like, you know, basic English and social studies kind of thing. But I always took those in summer school when I was back home working. <laughs> okay, I got you. Yeah. Well, my degree at the time, I want to say it was like 187 hours and it was a five-year degree. Yeah. You mean you earned 187? I don't think it would have been 187. No, no, it was 187. I figured it would have been about 160. No. Oh, I looked today and it was 161 today, but it was like 180 something when I was there. I actually grad huh. I actually graduated with 207 hours. Yeah. I had a whole lot too. I think mine was Actually, I take that back. Yeah, mine was like 140 something and I graduated with like 180. But if you do the math or something. And math is the theme today. That's not 5 years. So yeah, no. they already expect you to either place out of a lot of these tests by doing AP tests or whatever the case is, or they're, yeah. they're like, go get the low-hanging fruit in the summer somewhere else. So you can do it here if you want, but you don't have to. Or now you can just take it online while you're doing something else. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't a thing in you know 1986 know. to 1992. But I, I know. I hear that that's actually not that uncommon now because... If you go to a community college, because those credit hours will transfer to your four-year degree or five-year degree or whatever the case may be, your hourly rate for that three-hour social science class is way less, yeah. way less expensive, expensive than if you were to take the equivalent class at your four-year university. So For sure. And I know a lot of students that do that, save some of those basic courses that you can take anywhere and they take them online or they take them back home at community college or something because they'll transfer in and less per credit hour. Yeah. I'm paying $90 a credit hour instead of $220 per credit hour. Exactly. And it's still going to count. And if I'm in architecture, it doesn't really matter if I don't have division one level physics. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, anybody exactly. actually knows that kind of thing. So you said this at the beginning of the, our podcast recording tonight. And it is. When I go somewhere and people ask what I do, it's very common. And I don't think there's an architect walking the planet who hasn't been in this exact same situation. People find out that you're an architect. There's always this very visceral reaction of, oh, I really wanted to be an architect. But they either can't draw or they can't do the math. It's always yeah, one true, of those right, two, yeah. which kind of breaks it. It breaks my heart because I go, well, they'll teach you how to draw. Like, you don't have to be Van Gogh. When you begin your yeah. college education, you take classes and that's a skill and you'll get better at it. That would not be a reason that you should not have gone to architecture school. And the other is when they say, nah, I'm no good at math. I go, same thing. Yeah. You know what? There's a couple of classes. They may not be a lot of fun. They might be hard, but they're not impossible. You just get a tutor, fight your way through it. Once you get done with it, it'll have zero impact on your career, and it's not a rate-limiting step, not only to you getting a degree, but it's not a rate-limiting step to you finding fabulous success oh, as yeah, an architect right? it, it, professionally. It's actually probably more of a rate-limiting rate limiting factor for you to get a degree than it is to actually be a success and be successful as an architect. If you can just get through it in school, you're almost home free. Absolutely. I was thinking something else. Okay. No, no, not not like I was disagreeing with you. My no, I know you were just my, your brain didn't catch. My, I got my you. brain was jumping ahead because it's time for the best fifteen minutes of podcasting to ever be recorded. 
I don't know. If I'm not including that 15 minutes, then yeah. Well, because my answers are always wrong, so I can't can't imagine that mine's the best 15 minutes. You know, I look. I'm gonna. <laughs> I want this to be recorded for all to hear. I don't think that your answers are always wrong. It's just so much more fun to tell you that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. It, you know, I'll edit that out so nobody will ever know. Ever know ever know. The other thing that I think is kind of funny. So my office where I sit now, people will come up and say. Oh, I just listened to like, actually, you know, the episode that came out today was the Let's Get Physical episode where we had the hypothetical about a monkey attacking you. And I had four people come up to me saying how hilarious that was. And they all acknowledge that, yes, I always say that you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But they but they think it's funny. They're like, that's a funny bit. We like the fact that, you know, you always say that he's wrong. And I say, yeah. yeah, that's just a bit. And then I shake my head and give him a wink, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's just a bit. Finger gun. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, no, no. He's uh-huh. he's not always wrong. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. I know. No, it's not true. All right. So we have kind of a dark hypothetical today. Yeah, I noticed that. I was a little, ooh, okay. Well, this may be quick. No, I, there's a lot of meat on the bone on this one because it's one of my practices that before I talk about the hypothetical, because sometimes when I'm making them up, I go, is this one worth talking about? So I'll, I'll run up the flagpole with people in my office, you know, and see what they think. And when I told them what this one was, I walked away at one point and they kept talking about it for like 45 minutes. And there was this huge debate over, is it this or is it that? No, that, that'll be terrible. Why would you ever do that? And so I think this one's a good one, but yes, it's kind of dark. So here you go. Yeah. You ready? All right. Yeah, let me have it. So here it is. If you could know either the day in which you die or the manner in which you die, which one would you pick? And as always, I do think there's a right answer here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do too, but I'm sure it's the wrong one. <laughs> but You got to have faith. You got to believe in yourself, Andrew. Come on. I'm going to tell you my choice and then I'll give you the reasoning. Okay. You tell me the answer and then I'll tell you if you're right. And then you tell me the reason. <laughs> okay. So then the answer that I would pick would be the day. I would prefer to know the day in which I would die. That's actually the right answer. Because I really don't care how I die. If I'm going to die, it doesn't really matter. Oh, no, that's not. That's wrong. See, God darn it. No. You were so close to home run. No, no, no. Okay, so the reason I would say the day is because that allows me to do some forward thinking things and plan out some stuff so that a lot of things are taken care of before I know I'm going to meet my demise, whatever that may be. Sure. But I have kids and that kind of stuff. I'd at least be able to plan for that and maybe make sure I'd had some Bucket lifts things checked off before I knew that day was going to come. And I mean, I just think the time of it all. Yeah. You know what it'd be? Do some planning. It would be rob, rob this store, rob the jewelry store the the (laughs) day before I die. Exactly. Yeah. No, like a week before. So at least I could do something with the money. You got to hide it and then tell your kids, you know, lift. Tell my kids where it's at. Lift the shiny rock beneath the big oak tree, you know. Definitely it would be for me, it would be the, uh, the day. I could understand the rationale as the reason or the manner in which I die. But again, even though you said it was the wrong answer, I kind of don't care. No, 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 no. Look, knowing the day, that's the right answer. And here's why it's the right answer. It's because the other one's the wrong answer. (laughs) 
knowing, okay, so let's create a scenario here, right? Yeah. So there's good answers and there's not like your answer or my answer, but I mean, let's say that you choose, I want to know the day. Well, that can go one of two ways, really. There's degrees. I could tell you, all right, Andrew, the day you die is next Tuesday. Okay, that's a terrible answer because now you're like, what? Yeah, I know, right? And, yeah. and your world is terrible. Or I could say, oh, you're going to die on April 1st, 2055. And you're going to like, oh, well, 2055, I'm going to be 117. So uh, that's pretty good. I won't be, but okay, yeah. Yeah. So I think no matter what, let's say that the youngest date I give you is a month and a half from now. And the other is 50 years, one and a half months from now. Yeah. I think that it's the last month and a half that's going to be what shapes. Like, I think the last month and a half of your life is going to be the same no matter what. If it's in 50 years, one and a half months, you're going to live your life for 50 years. And then, oh God, I'm going to die in a month and a half. And you're going to start going through that. Okay, I need to get stuff in order and I need to go see these people and I need to say my goodbyes. And that's going to happen whether it's a month and a half from now or it's in 50 years, one and a half months. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a huge difference there. Maybe. I think it was, if it was 50 years, I'd have some planning to do. There's some things I would take care of along the way. But for the most part, well, sure. I agree with you. Or if we said 20 years, one and a half. I, I agree with you. Right? I got you. Okay. Now, the reason why, if you had said, I want to know the manner which I die, why that's terrible. Yeah. Because, okay, let's do the two examples. One is, now, it can't be... Of old age, because nobody dies of old age. They die of heart failure. Something. Yeah, they, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just really old when it happens. That's normal, natural causes or whatever. So if it's hit by a truck or drowning, yeah. then I'm not going to do those things. I'm never going to yeah. swim again. Yeah, but that's still how you're going down, right? Because one of yeah. the things that, like, here's the rule that we put in there mid debate is that you can't change your destiny. Your destiny is to die by bullet shot, right? Yeah. Or if I say you get stabbed or you get hit by a bus. Something other than yeah. this peaceful kind of way that everybody imagined they're going to go out. Yeah. But of course, you don't know, if I say heart failure, you don't know if that's because that could be in a week and you have heart failure versus yeah. It could you're be because you're 90 yeah, and your and it, heart's just old. But if I told you that you're going to die from gunshot wound, that's all you're going to think about until that moment actually happens. You're going to be, you're going to go, I don't want to go to the fair. I might get shot by a bullet. That seems like a place where I might get shot by a bullet. <laughs> Yeah, right? I, I, think, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's I, a I, certain level of paranoia there. I think it would make you crazy. Or if I chose something even more preposterous, say, you're going to get hit by a bus. Every time you walk down a sidewalk, you're going to like, is the bus going to pop the curb and hit me? You would be on edge until that moment happened. And if that moment was in 50 years and you spent all 50 years thinking, is this the moment when the bus is going to hit me? I think that you'd be bananas by the time it happened. I mean, I think there are people that are like that already, that have this tendency to be really paranoid about things like that happening. But, I mean, that's a reason why I didn't want to choose that. I wouldn't want to know because it would, I think it would have a greater impact on my lifespan from the moment that I found out to the moment that I died of only knowing this is how it's going to happen as opposed to this is when it's going to happen and there's some level of, actually some level of closure. So I would, I would know. That other way is sort of open-ended. And again, like you say, I could get hit by a bus today or when I'm 80. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree well, with you. Well, here's another wrinkle. Let's say that you learn, this could be, I don't know, this is kind of a fun way to look at it. Let's say that I tell you that you're going to die because you have 
lung cancer. That's okay. ter- it's terrible, right? That's sure. terrible. Yes. But you might go, hey, I'm going to go out and run that red light because I know I'm not going to die in a car accident. <laughs> That's true. I go, say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go rob a bank because ain't nobody going to kill me for that. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to go in this burning building and rescue babies because I know that I'm not going to die. Yeah. You can rob banks. I'm saving babies. Uh, It sounds about right. I know. Speaks to the nature of our personalities. Uh Uh-huh. I know. But I wonder just how reckless with your life would you become with the thought that you're almost indestructible. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to break a leg or like be horribly disfigured (laughs) by by burns. Yeah. It just means you're not going to die. True. But I think, again, that just depends on the answer that you got. If it was something as mundane as, not that it's mundane, but, you know, I said lung cancer, which I guess maybe somewhat more specific, take some risks and do some things. I'm going to jump out of this airplane. I don't have a parachute. Something will happen. I'll manage it because I know that's not how I'm going to die. I'm going to fall into a giant pile of marshmallows that just happens to be, I'm going to land in a bouncy house. Or somebody's going to jump out of the plane behind me and save me. I agree. I think if there's, there's some scenarios where that's going to really be, be helpful and beneficial. Yeah. Cute, you know, burning buildings and rescuing babies. Okay. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 35, Architecture and Math. If you liked today's episode, head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app and subscribe so that you can get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice every two weeks. While you're there, please leave us some feedback. And if you would, please leave us a two plus three equals five star rating. (laughs) That advanced math, advanced math. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Finally, if you weren't aware, at the end of every episode, there's a blooper reel of sorts at the end that might be worth checking out. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Finally, if you weren't aware that there's a blooper reel at the end of each episode, you're missing out. So stick around and see what the you know, I don't know. I didn't write an end to that sentence. Yeah, I know you didn't finish that sentence. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, hey, folks, there's a blooper reel at the end of every episode. You ought to check it out because that's some of the best recording. No, it's not. It's terrible recordings, actually. <laughs> you want to say that again? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it, yeah. It shot your wheels off again. That's That paints a picture. Yeah, you're welcome. The beads of sweat are like pachinko balls as they hit the hair in your Yeah, that's gross. That that was way beyond. <laughs> yet, yet it delivered the intended result. <laughs> yeah, uh huh.